You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. Last weekend, we stepped into a a new series. Uh, The theme of the series can be captured in one word, and that word is go. So uh, for three weeks, we uh, are looking at, we're considering, we're focusing on God's call to ordinary people in everyday life. And of course, that call is God's call to go into the world and tell them about Jesus. So I have to say right here, what a great opportunity to do that through Love Denver. How appropriate that in the midst of this sermon, and we didn't plan this, that we would be prepping for Love Denver. So I hope that as a church, we show up well and we infiltrate the community with the love of Jesus at that event. So um, if you would, uh, reach into your worship guides and take out your teaching notes, and then if you'll open up your Bibles to John chapter 1, and um, hold your place there as always. We'll come back to that passage in just a moment. Um, So as we began the series last weekend, uh, we took a look at the passage in Matthew 28 where Jesus gives this call that we're actually focusing on. And what we find uh, in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18, is that Jesus has gathered with the 11 men whom he has chosen to follow him throughout his ministry, and, and he gives them this call. He gives them this commission. It's very simple. Basically, he says, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. But we confirmed that the call to go and make disciples, to go and tell the world about Jesus, was not limited to those 11 men that he spoke those words to that day. But this call is for everyone who professes to be a Christ follower. Uh, We acknowledge that uh, this call can seem really overwhelming. God's called us to go to the world and tell the world about Jesus. And it can cause us to ask questions like, uh, why me? Uh, Am I qualified? Do I have what it takes? Will I um, be able to achieve the mission of the goal? And and here's what I would say. Yes, yes, you you can do it. Uh, and, And the reason I know that we can do it is because when we look through the pages of the Bible... The Bible is filled with stories of men and women who were ordinary people that God called and that God used. And we see that that's true all throughout history. God always, listen, God always uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. So guess what? Everybody in this room, this is a compliment to you today. You're you're just ordinary people. You're just plain old ordinary people. And as ordinary people, we don't have to be overwhelmed. We don't have to get caught up in the how-to. How will we do it? Instead, we rest in the fact that uh, our going flows out of the naturalness or the routineness of our everyday life. And here's what I mean by that. Robert hit on this. Um, our going is, is relational. We build new relationships. We nurture old relationships. And those relationships uh, uh, allow us the opportunity to tell people, to tell individuals the story of Jesus. And not only do those relationships allow people to hear the story of Jesus, but those relationships allow people to see Jesus because we are visual representations of Jesus. The Bible says we are his ambassadors. We are his representatives. Uh, uh, Robert hit on this. Uh, Our going, it's very practical. 
It's through doing good deeds of kindness. And those good deeds of kindness open up people's hearts to the reality of Jesus and the possibility of a relationship with him. So at the end of the day, our goal in life as Christ followers is that we would live our lives in such a way that people would see there's something different about us. Because remember... Jesus, by way of the Holy Spirit, is working inside of us and our attitudes and our perspectives are changing. So our behaviors are changing. And as that's happening, the world is looking on and they become attracted to us. They really are attracted to the Jesus in us and they begin to ask questions. How are you able to do that? How can you have such peace in the midst of such chaos? And then we get to tell them the story of Jesus. And if you weren't here last week, that's just a quick a quick summary of what we talked about. But before we move on, there's one other aspect of last week's message that I want to um, bring to your attention because I believe it's of great significance. Um, not only can we get overwhelmed by the how-to, how do we go, but we can also um, become indifferent or we can lose our passion for the lost. And I think that we can lose our passion for the lost because we forget why we need to go. So last week, if you remember, um, I made you aware, aware of an organization known as Operation World. And Operation World, just in a short summary, tracks the spread of the gospel worldwide. And in their tracking, they've determined that between 24 and 27 percent of the world's population has never heard the story of Jesus in a way that they can appreciate so they can make a meaningful response. And you might say, well, that's not that bad. That means 75% of the world's population has heard the story of Jesus. And while we celebrate that, let me break it down for you. That 24 to 27%, that represents 2 billion people. 2 billion people who have never heard the story of Jesus in a way that they can appreciate so that they can make a meaningful response. Let me break it down a little further. I did this last week. That means that one in every four people in the world has never heard the story of Jesus in a way that they can appreciate so that they can have a meaningful response. Let me break that down a little bit more. That means that that one in four might be your neighbor. It might be your coworker. It might be the person that you encounter at the grocery store every week. It might be anyone that you come in continual contact with in the community. That person may not, they may have never heard the story of Jesus in a way that they can appreciate so they can make a meaningful response. What that means is they need to be rescued in the same way that we've been rescued by Jesus. Here's what we know. As Christ followers, we've been rescued by Jesus. He rescued us from death, and he's given us life. Think about this. In God's plan, in God's design, he called some ordinary person or some ordinary group of people to be part of the rescue mission that he designed specifically for you. And in that call, that person or that group of people, they told you, the story of Jesus. And they told you in a way that you can appreciate. So you could make a meaningful response. So that you could say yes to Jesus. Someone told you. That's the key. Is that someone told you. 
Someone told you someone was part of your rescue mission. And now Jesus has called us to be part of his rescue mission for all the people in the world who need to be rescued. And to, to be part of this rescue mission, we have to be willing to tell the story of Jesus. I want to tell you the story of a rescue mission of a, of a man named Brad that uh, thankfully the Lord allowed me to be part of. Uh, this happened probably 10 to 12 years ago when I was on staff at the Cornelius campus. I was serving there as the executive pastor. And I was in my office one day and I got a call from the receptionist. And she said, there's a, a young man here and he wants to see a pastor. And he's in quite a bit of distress. So I made my way out to the reception area. And I was introduced to a young man by the name of Brad. Brad was about 36 years old. Um, I invited Brad back to my office. Uh, and we sat and Brad told me of how he had really uh, created a great deal of chaos in his home, in his marriage, and in his family. It, actually, what had happened was, was very destructive to his marriage. And so um, I listened, and uh, I offered him some counsel, uh, and then we prayed. And as Brad was leaving, um, I said, Brad, I would love to be able to spend some more time with you. Would you, sometime in the next couple of weeks, be willing to uh, meet with me again? And he said, yes, I would. And so a few days later, we actually met at a, a little coffee house that used to be just down the street from the Cornelius campus. And um, as we met, and as I was talking to Brad, I realized that Brad uh, had never heard the story of Jesus. I, I, and so, in fact, Brad uh, confessed to me that day, he, in his 36 years of life, the first time he had ever been in a church was the day he came to the church office to, to meet with the pastor. He said, I've never been to church. I've never been in a church before that time. So I think for 36 years, Brad's never, never been in church. And so it just so happened that that day I had on uh, a salvation bracelet. Uh, you may be familiar with what that is. It's a little leather band uh, and it has colored beads on it. And you use those beads to tell the story of Jesus. And I had it on that day and I said, Brad, would you allow me to tell you the story of Jesus? And he said, yes. And so I sat there with my, my bracelet and I began to walk through the beads and I told him the story of Jesus. And when I finished, I said, Brad, what do you think about that? Do you think this is true? Do, do, you, do you think this is something you could believe? And he said, well, actually, yeah, yes, I do. And, and I said, would you like to do something about it? Would you like to ask Jesus to be uh, your savior? And he said, actually, yes, I would. So we sat there in the coffee house that day and we prayed and God allowed me to be part of Brad's rescue mission. Now, the point of me telling the story is not the fact that, can you imagine that for 36 years, Brad never came to church so he could hear the story of Jesus? Instead, my point is quite the opposite. For 36 years of Brad's life, we, the church, the church at large, we failed to go into Brad's world. We failed to go into Brad's world in a way that we could tell him the story of Jesus. Thankfully, Brad came to the church and made a connection and he was rescued. But I want to tell you, there are countless other people like Brad who have never heard the story of Jesus and they're waiting they're waiting on someone to tell them. They may not even know what they're, what they're waiting on or what the void is in their heart, but they want someone to tell them that there's more meaning to life. In uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 14, and I want to read this from the New Living Testament. It says, 
But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Being part of Jesus' rescue mission means that we have to be willing to go to a world that is waiting for us to tell them. I want you to watch this video, short video. the cry of the world. Tell me. Let's think about this. Jesus has given us this mandate to go into the world, but far too often we, we neglect. Why? What are some of the reasons that cause us to neglect this call, to fail to tell the story of Jesus? I want to give you five what I believe are very common reasons. Uh, number one, perhaps the biggest reason is fear. Fear. We can let fear paralyze us because we get afraid that we won't know what to say, that we won't know how to tell the story, or we become afraid that in telling the story, there may be questions that are asked of us and we won't have the answers. And so we freeze up, we're paralyzed. Listen, we cannot let fear stop us from telling the story of Jesus. You have plenty to say if you have a relationship with Jesus. If you've encountered Jesus, you have plenty to say because the only thing you have to do is tell your story. That's the best way to tell somebody about Jesus. Tell them about your encounter with Jesus. Tell them about your life with Jesus, how he's changed your life. And, and guess what? Um, you will get asked questions that you won't have the answer to. You, you, just, you just won't have the answer. It's okay. You know what the greatest response can be? Honesty that says, I don't know. I don't know. But then you can follow that up by saying, but I'm willing to find out. And what I learned, I'll come back and I'll share with you. Now we have to be sure to do that. But it's okay to say, I don't know. So one of the greatest uh, uh, reasons we don't go is fear. A second one is rejection. Is there anybody in the room that likes to be rejected? <laughs> Nobody likes rejection. <laughs> Most people don't like rejection. Nobody likes rejection. In fact, we all have this deep-seated need uh, to, to be accepted. Now, have you ever found yourself in a situation where talking about Jesus can make people really uncomfortable? 
very often, talking about Jesus, telling the story of Jesus can make people uncomfortable. And in their uncomfortableness, they can uh, begin to shut down uh, or, or block you out. And so what we begin to sense is they're they're rejecting us when really they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting the story. It's, it's made them uncomfortable. But what happens when we, when we feel or when we sense that rejection, uh, there's a confusion that happens on the inside. And because we want to be accepted, because we want to be liked, we begin to confuse our personal priorities, our personal desire with eternal priorities. Even if we're rejected, we still have to be willing to go and tell the story. And there will be people who will reject you. Um, a third reason uh, is procrastination. I think that procrastination is one of the greatest enemies of the gospel. It's one of the greatest enemies of the good news. Because we find ourselves, I, I just need to make sure it's the right time. It, it has to be the right And agree, timing is very important. But sometimes because we're waiting on the right timing, we miss the opportunities when the door's been opened just a little bit. When the door opens even a little bit, we have to be willing to at least step in and begin to seed the conversation, to begin to plant seeds of the story of Jesus. So, so we, we can't be procrastinators. We've got to start the process. Uh, a fourth reason is indifference. Simply put, we don't go and tell the good news because we've either lost our passion or maybe we've really never had a true passion for the lost. It's very easy to become indifferent. We can become indifferent in our busyness. I've been convicted this week as, uh, as I really, it's this, this week was one of my busiest weeks in a really, really long time. And, um, I realize that it's very easy to go through the motions but not have passion for what I'm doing. And I had to stop and say, God, forgive me. I repent. Um, and I was reminded even as I was preparing this message that God, break my heart for the lost in the same way your heart is broken for the lost. Yesterday, I participated in um, uh, Love Life Charlotte. And um, there were 26 uh, mothers in the abortion clinic who were um, scheduled for abortion yesterday. And so we were part of a great intercession team and, and, and my heart broke. And I thought it's been a long time since I've really had a broken heart for, for it like this. And so I had to repent again, God, break, break my heart. And I would say that if you don't, if you realize you, you don't have that passion for the lost, then pray and ask God to give you the same passion for the lost that he has. Ask him to break your heart for the lost. And then a fifth reason I think that we don't go is just wrong thinking. We can convince ourselves that if we don't go and tell the story of Jesus, somebody will go. Surely somebody else can go. We, we can also convince ourselves that it's not our responsibility. Telling the story of Jesus, that's the that's responsibility of the, the professionals. The pastors and the leaders in the church are the ones that are supposed to do that. Well, that's not very biblical. Jesus has given a call to all of us to go and share the story of Jesus Christ. So maybe you can identify with one of those reasons, two, three, maybe, maybe all five. Maybe you can identify. They're all common and they're all very real. But even so, even though they may be present in your life, we still have been given a call to go. And this means that we have to overturn 
fear. And we have to overturn rejection. And we have to overturn procrastination. And we have to overturn indifference. And we have to overturn wrong thinking. And one of the ways that we can overturn what I would say are enemies of the gospel is by ensuring that we have a simple, achievable approach, a, a strategy to telling the story of Jesus. And the passage that I had you turn to in John chapter 1 is a perfect, simple model of how to do this. And so I want to read uh, in John chapter 1. I'm going to read to you first verses 35 through 39. I'm going to stop and talk about those a little bit. And then I'm going to read verses 40 through 42. And beginning in verse 35, it says, The next day... John was there again with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by. He said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following them and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. And I'll stop there. I'll give you a little context. You know, I'd love to give context. So what we find in John chapter 1 is as the gospel writer John writes, he um, actually uh, reveals to us the events of four consecutive days. And the first day that he begins to reveal the events of begins in verse 19. And what we find is John the gospel writer tells us that John the Baptist tells the people the Messiah has come. And actually he's living, he's been living with you, but he doesn't reveal who it is. And then the second day, and the second day begins in verse 29, and we find John the Baptist again. And uh, John the Baptist sees Jesus, and he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what he was doing is he was revealing who the Messiah was. He said, uh, Yesterday, I told you that the Messiah has come and he's been living with you. Well, guess who it is? It's Jesus. He's been living right here in your midst. And he's the one. He's the Messiah. He's the one who's going to take away the sins of the world. And then the third day begins uh, in verse 35, which I just read a moment ago. And what we saw there is that uh, John the Baptist is with two of his disciples. He sees Jesus and he says, look. The Lamb of God. And when the disciples who are with him sees Jesus, there's something that attracts them to him. And he begins, they begin to follow him. And then as they're following him, and I think it kind of caught him off guard, at least in my imagination, Jesus stops and he turns around and he says, what do you want? And, and I think maybe that startled them. And they, he, said, he said, what do you want? And they go, well, well Rabbi, a teacher, um, well, where are you staying? Where do you stay? I mean, of all the things they could ask the Lamb of God, they go, where are you staying? But he says, well, why don't you come with me? I'll show you. And so they go and they, they spend a day with him. And then we look in verse 40. And, and this is really important because this is where we find the simple, achievable strategy for telling the story of Jesus. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. So uh, in verse 35, we know that there were two disciples. We don't know their names. So now we know that one of them was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Uh, John, the gospel writer, doesn't identify who the other was, but it's believed that it was actually him. And the reason is, is John, uh, so think about it. John was one of the 12. 
Uh, and he was actually in Jesus' inner circle. But he writes the story of Jesus in his gospel, but never once, despite his, his involvement, he never uh, announces himself by name. And so it's believed that it was Andrew and John who, who were, were following him. And um, it says, so the next day, Jesus, dis- uh, blah, 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 that's the wrong place. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Did you catch the model there? Without looking at your notes, what do you identify? What, what what, what's the model? What did, what did Andrew do? He, 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 he went and he, he, he found him. He told him. Yeah, it, it, that's pretty simple, isn't it? In fact, it's really simple. So um, what are the lessons that we can learn? Just the really simple lessons that we can learn from Andrew's evangelism strategy. I'll give you four things. I'm going to give them to you fairly quickly. Uh, Number one, start with someone you already know. Talked about it's relational. Start with someone you know. This is exactly what Andrew did. He told his brother. A pretty close relationship, right? So he went and he told his brother. The most natural place for evangelism, for telling the story of Jesus, is with people you already know. Why? You already have established relationship with them. You already have relational equity. You already have credibility. So start with who you know. So I want to make this really practical for you today. So I want you to do something. Um, I want you right now, I want you to somewhere in your notes... Write down the names of two or three people that you know, but you know they're not Christ followers. They need to hear the story of Jesus in a way that they can appreciate so they can make a meaningful response. I want you to just take a moment and I want you to write their names down. Two, two or three names. I'm just going to give you a chance to do that. The second part of the strategy, really simple. So you, you tell someone you know, but then you tell them what you know. And again, this is what Andrew did. He, to, he told Peter, we have found the Messiah. Andrew very simply shared the story of his encounter with Jesus. And that's all we have to do. We just share our story, our encounter with Jesus of how he's changed our lives. So I'm going to give you some homework. You don't have to do this right now. But um, in order to tell your story, you need to have thought about your story. And I always tell people you need uh, the elevator version of your story, your testimony. So imagine you're at a high rise in Charlotte. Um, You're getting in on the ground floor and you're going, let's say, to the 85th floor. And you know that the other person getting on with you uh, is, is going up to the same floor. And you just had a little brief conversation in the lobby and you realize, I'm pretty sure... Maybe they may not have heard the story of Jesus. And so you've got from the first to the 85th floor to tell the story. You break it into three parts. Number one, you need to be able to tell what your life was like before Jesus. But let me say, don't spend too much time there. That's not the real point of your story. So what was my life like before Jesus? How did I encounter Jesus? And where you want to spend your time is, and this is how Jesus has changed my life. 
So this week, I want you to work on creating your elevator version of your story and be prepared to tell it to someone. Third part of the strategy, bring them with you. This is what Andrew did. Verse 42 says, and he brought him to Jesus. Look for and invite people to opportunities where they can encounter Jesus. I want to tell you where I believe the best place for this to happen is. Uh, I believe that if we allow our homes to be Christ-centered, that we can invite people into our homes for a meal or for dessert, and that they would come in and they would have an encounter with Jesus just by the Spirit of Jesus in our house, and it would cause them to ask questions. So in our home is the greatest place for it to happen. But also you could invite them to a small group Bible study. You could invite them to a, a concert. There's all kinds of things. You bring them to church. Uh, yeah, this is a great place because we know that each week here at the end of the message, there's a commitment that in a brief manner at least will tell the story of Jesus. If it's already been told all throughout the message. And they'll have an opportunity. So you, you bring them into it. Uh, choose a place where they can encounter Jesus and, and, and bring them to it. So begin to think, practically speaking, what's the next step for you? What is something that you could invite someone into so that they have an opportunity to encounter Jesus? And finally, number four, give opportunity for Jesus to change the direction of their lives. And that's what evangelism, that's what going is all about. And this is what Andrew did. He saw an opportunity in his encounter with Jesus, and he brought his brother Peter into the opportunity. And without a doubt, Peter's life was changed, right? Remember, this is the guy who denied Christ three times, but then he stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached this incredible message through the power of the Holy Spirit, and the church was birthed. His, his life was changed. So we have to bring people, give them the opportunity for Jesus to change the direction of their lives. Um, we've got to be sure that we don't make telling the story of Jesus too hard. You know why? Because we tend to avoid the things that are hard. If something's too hard, we may not determine we may, we may decide, it's just too hard. I, I'm, I'm not going to do it. So, here's what I want to just challenge you with today. Um, begin to pray. Begin to pray and ask Jesus to stir your passion for the lost. And then pray for those people, the names that you've written down. And then begin to look for opportunities where you can bring them into an encounter with Jesus. Look for opportunities where you can tell the story of Jesus. Church, we have been called to go. Do you believe that? Go. Would you bow your heads? Father, I pray that we would not be indifferent to a world that's lost. I pray that you would stir our hearts with the same passion for the lost that you have. I pray that you would just help us to be courageous and step into opportunities where we can tell the story. And as a result, I pray that there would be many great stories of rescue missions that we can tell as a people, as a church. So we commit ourselves to you in this today. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, um, is there anybody here today and you've never had an encounter with Jesus? 
you've never really um, considered the fact that uh, you have committed sin throughout your life because that's how you were born with a sin nature and that sin separates us from God but Jesus came and took our place on the cross so that we could have forgiveness of our sin and be reconciled to God he died in our place and he desires to live inside of us if you're here today and you've never um, entered into that kind of life where you've said yes to Jesus and you said, I want you to be my savior. I want to live my life for you. Today's your opportunity. So if you're here and that's you today, uh, everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, but would you just lift up your hands and let your eye catch my eye? Anybody here at all today? Is there anybody you've never said yes to Jesus? I'm going to ask you to stand. Father, thank you that there's a room of Christ followers and I pray that as we go from this place that we go out into the world and we tell the story of Jesus I pray that we invite people into opportunities uh, where they can have an encounter with you and Father we pray that you fill this place with people who do not yet know you and they can respond to the gospel even in this place and we pray this in Jesus name and everybody said Amen. God bless you. Have a great, great day. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.